everybody, and welcome back to the Off the Key Podcast. I'm your host, Mac, and today I'm joined by my two regular co-hosts, Garrett. Yeah. And James. Hello there. And today we are talking about the fourth studio album from the legendary thrash metal band, Megadeth. Rust in peace. Now, this was James's pick, and James, I gotta ask, man, why'd you pick this album? Man, it's a thrash classic. It's one of my favorite metal albums of all time, and I really wanted to talk about it. I know it's critically acclaimed across the board. It's for a reason. It is one of the definitive thrash metal albums. Easily top five thrash metal album. If you're wondering who Megadeth is, Megadeth is an American heavy metal band formed in Los Angeles in 1983 by Dave Mustaine and David Ellefson. Megadeth is considered one of the big four of American thrash metal, along with Metallica, Anthrax, and Slayer, who are all in some way, shape, or form responsible for the popularity and development of thrash metal throughout the 80s and 90s. The band is known for their complex arrangements, fast rhythm sections, and heavily political lyrical themes. Interestingly, Megadeth's origins can actually be placed back to the early years of Metallica. Dave Mustaine was actually Metallica's lead guitarist from 1981 to 1983, being fired from the band for excessive substance abuse and personal conflicts with James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. And unfortunately, this substance abuse issue would follow Dave Mustaine throughout most of his career with Megadeth. Mustaine had composed some of the group's early songs and helped hone the band into what it was during the 80s. After being fired from the band, Mustaine vowed revenge against Metallica by forming a band that was faster and heavier than they were. Now, I want to say... That him writing is a little bit of an understatement. He wrote a good portion of not only Kill Em All, but some songs from even their from second the second album, Ride the Lightning. Yeah, a lot of those riffs are his. Seek and Destroy. And the Four Horsemen as well. Metallica just modified it a little bit. Yeah, it's incredibly ironic that one of the big four stemmed from Metallica and Mustaine's hate for the band. I believe he got the idea for the name of the band from some senator's pamphlet, I think Alan Parsons. Yeah, so California. On a, so on a bus trip back from LA, Mustaine found a pamphlet from, like you said, California Senator Alan Cranston that Cranston. read The Arsenal of Megadeth can't be rid no matter what the peace treaties come to. The term Megadeth stuck with him and he wrote a song with the spelling slightly changed to Megadeth without the A at the end, which according to Mustaine represented the annihilation of power. Very metal. <laughs> To say the least, the Cold War was still very much a big part of the world at this point. It was the the prospect of nuclear war ending the world was still a huge part of people's minds. Yeah, and that was a big part of what fueled the lyrical content of this album, down to the album cover. Which is, it's a solid album cover. Yeah, it, it features their mascot, Vic Rattlehead, who is on pretty much every one of their covers. Let's be honest, they were all dorks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really were. They were to all total dorks. <laughs> they really were. I mean, no music genre should really take itself seriously, if we're being honest. It, it also features five major world leaders, including George H.W. Bush and the British and Japanese prime ministers, and Mikhail Gorbachev. Getting into the origins of Megadeth and the formation of the band, after returning to Los Angeles, Mustaine formed the band Fallen Angels, and after going through several band members, the band renamed themselves to Megadeth. Dave added his new neighbors, David Ellefson and Greg Handevit, 
to the band on bass and guitar, respectively. Hand of it left soon after, but Ellefson and Mustaine formed a strong musical bond and remained the core of the band until Megadeth's hiatus in 2002. The pair auditioned around 15 drummers looking for one who had a solid understanding of meter changes and odd time signatures in music. Finally, they landed on Lee Rosh, but he too would leave the band soon after. Throughout the 80s, the band seemed to be an endless revolving door until finally landing on drummer Nick Menza in 1989. Menza would remain in the band until 1998, making him their longest standing drummer. Additionally, Marty Friedman would join the band as lead guitarist in 1990, and Rust in Peace was actually the first Megadeth album to feature both members, thus forming the classic Megadeth lineup of Dave Mustaine on lead vocals, rhythm, and lead guitar, David Ellison on bass and backing vocals, Marty Friedman on lead and rhythm guitar, and Nick Menza on drums. The definitive lineup. The goat thrash metal lineup, if you ask me. Many Megadeth fans feel that this is the classic, definitive Megadeth lineup. Friedman can play circles around just about any other like metal or hard rock band at the time. I mean, he was a shred gone. He was like a virtuoso. Even later, when he's, he was done with metal, he was just like, all right, I'm just going to do prog and classical and all this other like crazy stuff where he really showed off his chops, and you're just thinking, like, man, this man was a wit. Like, what are you doing playing in Megadeth, you know? <laughs> Him and Nick Menza were just... Nick Menza is one of the greatest metal drummers of all time. His style is so powerful, so fast, so obliterating. He was a perfect thrash metal drummer. He's basically set the standard for thrash drumming. Him and David Lombardo of Slayer, those two guys really laid the foundation for double bass drumming in terms of metal drumming dave lombardo nick menza man megadeth has a crazy history with band members it's a revolving freaking door they've had 20 plus members coming through it's because dave mustaine at that point was literally a piece of human refuse his substance abuse problems because a lot of people were just like man i can't take this and they left and yeah. only the ones that could literally just kind of weather the storm and put like the music in front of dealing with him because he was that an absolute. He had all the power. He you know, he wanted it done his way, and it was his way to the hallway. He just went through member after member after member. Freeman and Menz were consummate professionals, and they valued the music over any anything else, which allowed them to stay tight through those few albums. And those albums are all. Some of the best metal has to offer. I mean, they're all just stupid consistent. Yeah, what's crazy to me about Megadeth is really, I think their run in the 90s was impressive, especially for a time where thrash metal was really dead. Yeah, the popularity had waned quite a bit. All these other bands saw Metallica have commercial success by softening their sound to a more of a hard rock sound. And Megadeth did it a little bit where they weren't as crazy with like the tempo and like the blistering fast thrash, but they still had metal. Whereas like the Black Album and like what followed like Load and Reload are very hard rock. There's very little metal in those 90s albums by Metallica, but there's still a lot of 90s Megadeth stuff that is very much metal. Yeah, and it goes to show that there was still a desire for what you know, Megadeth and the other big four were doing in the 80s, in the 90s, because as far as I'm concerned, Megadeth didn't really fall off until the 2000s. 
And that's just because Dave had to, you know, he slowed down. And he realized that it, what he was doing was going to kill him. Oh, yeah. I mean, they got kicked out of so many concerts, festivals, yep. recording studios even. There was one time where they were playing in Northern Ireland during the, the midst of the conflict there. Because they were selling, apparently selling bootleg t-shirts. He was convinced not to go stop it because he was told it was for the cause, which is, I guess, some kind of IRA thing, maybe. And that inspired him to play Anarchy in the UK there, and the crowd rioted. Yeah, these these guys were maniacs, but it was mainly Dave Mustaine that was kind of taking the reins for Megadeth. This is a band that, that spent half the budget for their first album on booze and drugs and yeah. food. Yeah, these guys were party animals. Now, building up to this point, I'd say Rust in Peace was kind of the climax, the finale of thrash metal. Because you got to think, Rust in Peace came out right before Nirvana's Nevermind drop in 1991. After this album, the grunge wave hit, and it took over the 90s. This was effectively the dying breath of thrash. It was quite a loud and heavy breath. Rust in Peace is the fourth studio album by Megadeth, released on September 24th, 1990 by Capitol Records. Capitol Records, you may be familiar with them, but they are a highly respected record label who is most known as the U.S. record label of the Beatles. And they were praised for their treatment of the Beatles' studio material in the U.S. during, I'd say, the mid-60s. Very highly respected record label. Since Rust in Peace's release, the album has been regarded as one of the best thrash metal records of all time, and the name was inspired by a bumper sticker that Mustaine saw on the back of a vehicle while driving home from a lake trip in California. The sticker read, May all your nuclear weapons rust in peace. Mustaine took a liking to the concept and decided to use it as the title for their upcoming album. You gotta remember, this was during the Cold War, and uh, many people were coming out against nuclear technology, the escalating tensions between the USSR and the US. And it makes sense that this album's subject material is so strongly intertwined with that. Interestingly, the album itself was recorded at Rumbo Recorders, which is a notable recording studio in Los Angeles, California, that hosted the recording sessions for many significant artists, the likes including Guns N' Roses, Fleetwood Mac, Roy Orbison, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, The Smashing Pumpkins, Motley Crue, Ringo Starr, Maroon 5, Kiss, Ario Speedwagon, Stone Temple Pilots, and many, many more. This is actually the studio where Appetite for Destruction was recorded. Yes, one of the studio's main resident producers was actually one Mike Klink, who is responsible for the production of Appetite for Destruction. And Mike Klink was actually also the co-producer of this album, Rust in Peace, alongside Dave Mustaine. Although Dave actually claimed in a 2002 interview with Guitar World that we really didn't make the record with Clink because at the time he was focused on Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, and stated that most of the work in the album was done by himself, Max Norman, and the engineer, Mikaha Ryan. So at this point, we should probably jump into the album. We framed it here. Thrash metal was at death's door. So what did you guys think of Rust in Peace? Well, the opener, in my humble opinion, is the best thrash metal song ever written. Holy Wars, The Punishment Do, and Hangar 18 are the best thrash metal songs ever written, period, underscored, italics, whatever you want, in my <laughs> humble opinion. Bold. 
to be only contested with Raining Blood and like Master of Puppets. This opening is insane. Let's be clear. The first three tracks of this album is a fucking explosion. It's easily the greatest intro to any thrash metal album. Freaking opening riff for Holy Wars is so ridiculous. This song was actually inspired by that aforementioned concert in Northern Ireland. It's a song that really has this anti-religious sentiment. This whole album is very, very anti-war. Anti-war, anti-religion. Really a theme of self-destruction, if you think about it. Either it's political destruction, whereas the world destroys itself because of political BS and tensions and war, or some of the other songs are about personal destruction, like Tornado of Souls. Yeah, which is incredibly fitting for not only the time, but for Dave Mustaine's life experiences. The guy was very self-destructive. He was a party animal. He was a heavy drug abuser. And on top of that, I feel like this album reflects the sense of doom that many people during the Cold War faced, the sentiments that they felt during that time. And I think that's part of why this album is so potent, lyrically speaking. Because it, it feels like a reflection of the sentiments and the overall feeling of doom and paranoia that came with the tensions and the escalating issues in the Cold War. There's also an element to the conspiracy theories that revolved around the government at the time because during the Cold War, weapons development and research was a very, very secretive process, and there were a lot of things that the government was working on that they made great effort to keep top secret because... As we all know, Cold War espionage was a very, very serious threat. And so a lot of conspiracy theories were born out of that and probably one of the most famous conspiracy theories in general, like general conspiracy theories, is that of aliens, extraterrestrials visiting us and being kept in certain secret areas. Hangar 18. Which, by the way, is my favorite song on this album. The instrumentals on this album are top tier. Like, I have to agree with you guys in the sense that it is so consistently high-quality thrash metal from an instrumental perspective. I mean, the riff writing, the solos are all insane. The rhythm section, the drummer, front to back, incredible. You got, like, Dawn Patrol that showcases Ellison, and then, you know, Hangar 18, Marty. Holy Wars is is Dave's, like, golf song. And, you know, Rest in Peace is Menzies. I mean, you yeah. they all have, like, yeah, top-tier moment where they are just at the height of their powers. I know that the vocals and stuff are corny on this song, but Take No Prisoners, my God. I don't think the lyrics are corny. It's just no, more it's, the vocal delivery. And I'm going to get into the call and, my yeah. main problem with this album, the big elephant in the room, Dave Mustaine's vocals and vocal delivery. And this is the number one complaint about Megadeth. Whenever I hear someone talking shit about Megadeth, it's always Dave Mustaine's voice. So, for a little context on why Dave Mustaine is the singer, the band during this time where they were just going through member after member after member, they were trying to find a singer for six months, and Dave Mustaine got so frustrated that he just said, screw it, man, I'm just going to do it. No vocal training, no singing experience. He just took the reins and said, all right, guys, I'm the lead singer now. Which, for the first two albums, were very passable. Think of the style of uh, P. 
peace sales, talking, yelling. yelling. There wasn't very little actual singing being done. Only until when around the 90s hit when he started to expand his, would that really become an issue? Because he didn't really get any vocal training for it. He just tried to jump into a pond that he wasn't ready for. Now, I don't really mind it per se, but I, I can definitely see it. He is not trained whatsoever. He tries to expand his toolbox on this album. Like you said, in the first two albums, it's pretty passable. You know, it's nothing outright offensive or amazing, but it works. It fits. But here he tries to play with different delivery styles. He tries to use different voices, hit higher notes and registers, and it does not work. Take No Prisoners, Five Magics, the delivery also on Tornado of Souls. The delivery and the weird voices are insufferable. I feel like the thing that makes Take No Prisoners and Five Magics are like the call and response corny vocals. I think oh, if you man. actually had took those out, it's not really like the delivery is more as like it's that. But Tornado of Souls is the biggest one because the way like his lead vocals are. I'll commend Mustaine for taking the reins and saying, no, I'm going to take over and do this myself because nobody else will and sticking with it for this long. But on this album, especially, I think his vocal performances are at their worst. And it's not that the lyrical content is bad. I actually think the writing here is amazing. It's excellent. Thought provoking, in my opinion. I mean, some of it's really ridiculous and excessive. There's a real message here. Yeah, I definitely think he got better over time. His singing is probably like the best in euthanasia. Because in Countdown to Extinction, he does it a little bit less than he does in this album. I do like the imagery that Five Magics conjures, if you will. And Marty, I think, kills it in the beginning of Five Magics. That opening instrumental is sick nasty. I mean, I can give most of these songs a pass because the instrumentals are just so sick. As a riff writer and a guitarist, I mean, I think Dave's great. I think he's fantastic, actually. I just do not care for his singing. In terms of thrash metal, I'd say Megadeth is probably one of the most creative bands instrumentally of the big four. What I do like about Metallica compared to Megadeth is, you know, Metallica does take influences from other genres and they'll, sometimes they'll bring in other instruments like on Master of Puppets. Megadeth, I think they've got their number on, you know, the riff writing, the compositions, the solos, the pacing. One of my biggest complaints about Metallica in general is that sometimes they drag their songs out way too long. I think Megadeth paces their songs very well. They structure them very tightly, and they don't waste your time. Plus, they make it so you can hear the bass. And Justice is definitely the worst Yeah, biggest perpetrator, perpetrator, yeah. But a big reason why Megadeth sounds so much heavier than Metallica does is because of the bass. The production is so much more crisp and even. Not to say that it's a clean sound, but there's much more low end. The bass is driving. It's there. Whereas in Metallica's records, it's so treble heavy. It's all the guitars. It's the drums. Even when they hit Cliff, the bass was not nearly as audible as it is on a lot of Megadeth's records. Front to back, if you're a fan of you know, thrash metal, big riffs like Garrett, memorable riffs, crazy solos, musicianship all around the board. This is a great album. Now, Dawn Patrol, that was actually a standout for me. And it was mainly because of Ellefson. Like, I was getting doom metal vibes listening to it with the, the just that thumping, like kind of dragged out reverb on the bass. I think you're totally right when you say Nick Menza has just this really like powerful, punchy style. 
the whole time I'm listening to this, I feel like my head is going to explode. What I love about Rest in Peace, every track feels like it's heading towards this impending doom. You're literally sitting on the rocket watching it fall down and blow up the planet. Yeah, this is the finale of Thrash. This is when the conductor takes a bow and walks off and the band gets up and the performance is over. This which, is the, the the period. This is the exclamation point. Which is so fitting with the finality feeling of the record. All this talks of Cold War tensions and, and this impending doom that is always sitting behind you, reflected with everything that was going on at the time during the 1980s. This album truly feels like an ultimate climax in so many ways. For a thrash metal, a climax of this impending doom with the concept of the album. As much as I love the instrumentals and the lyrical content, Mustaine makes it sound so corny. Yes, I'm a corny guy. I'll, I'll lap, I got, lap it up. I got no problem <laughs> with a little cream corn, but... It's still not quite as corny as bands like Manowar. Oh, okay. yeah. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here with some Manowar. God. The corniest metal band of all time. With that being said, you guys want to get into your final thoughts? This is one of the definitive thrash metal albums. If you want to get into thrash metal or just metal in general, this is a necessary album. You must listen to Rust in Peace. And I would say it's a pretty good entry point to thrash metal. This along with maybe Master of Puppets. This album is just a fucking insane speed bullet train ride. It is amazing. The production is incredible. It's not clean, but it also just sounds very clear. You can hear everything, hear every note, hear every drum hit, but it still has this extremely crunchy sound that I love so much. I'd say this album is only held back by Dave Mustaine's vocal delivery. I'm not as hard on it as Mac is, but still, I kind of have to acknowledge it. It is one of the main reasons why people are turned off of Megadeth. So I will give this album a nine and a half out of 10. The only thing that is holding me back from giving this album a 10 out of 10 is Dave Mustaine's vocals. I think the instrumentals are incredible. I think the concepts are incredible. The songwriting is great. It's paced well. It doesn't waste your time. There is honestly almost no problems on the musical front. Dave Mustaine's vocals almost ruined the album for me. There were parts where I would visibly and physically cringe at some of the callbacks, like the callouts he was doing, the voice changes. It wasn't enough to ruin the album for me because everything else here is incredible. So I'm going to give this album a 9 out of 10. It honestly does not bother me one bit. Yeah, Dave Mustaine could do whatever crazy, cringy, freaking accents, voices he wants to do, and it will just not bother me at all. Like, I have... They have to be monumentally bad. Everyone is at the height of their powers. I think it's the best thrash metal album ever written. This is the best lineup. I really wish he would have gotten with this lineup earlier because I would have loved to see some of the ideas that Dave had for peace sales with this lineup. I mean, they're all incredible musicians. I mean, Marty himself went on to do just like classical and prog and all kinds of stuff. So you just They all had chops. I think this is a 10 out of 10 for me. And I gotta say, Rust in Peace has earned its place as one of the quintessential metal albums and thrash metal albums of all time. Despite my gripings with the album, it's still fantastic. It's still incredible. And like James said, this is 
an essential listen for a metal fan of any experience level. So check it out. And with that, any final thoughts, guys? All good. All right. Well, this is Off the Key Podcast, and we're out of here. Thanks, guys. here and i just wanted to give a shout out to lacrembo for the intro and outro music also check out our link tree for where to follow us we are on instagram and facebook and a variety of streaming platforms and if you could give us a sub or a listen or even a follow it'd be greatly appreciated thanks guys see you later